Praise God. Uh, you may be seated. How good it is to worship our great God together. Amen? Amen. You can do it alone. You can do it in your car. You can do it at home. You can play some music. You can just sing. You can pray. You can be silent. You can take a walk in the woods. There's a plethora of ways to worship our great God, but um, it's uh, nothing I think replaces that corporate worship coming together collectively. Amen? That's a good, such a good thing. Today we get to continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We've been at this now since January, and guess what? We're all the way up to chapter 8. We are making headway, but we were determined right from the start that we weren't going to rush, amen? You know, our world is in a hurry, and it's easy to skim the surface. It's easy to keep going. We're going to push through and got to get on to the next thing. No, this is the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. We're just going to marinate in it for a while, okay? We're going to savor it. We're going to just let it kind of soak in and sink in. And uh, we are just going to continue to enjoy this great gospel, this fast-paced, action-packed gospel of Mark. So today we're up to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. It's uh, Peter's confession of Christ, and I invite you to follow along as I read for you, beginning at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked them, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Let's pray. Lord, um, the closing statement of this passage kind of reminds us that not everybody is ready for you. Not everyone can handle the truth. So, Lord, open our ears and our hearts today that we might receive you. We need help in this area, God. We need help in order to hear your truth, the words and the truth of who you are. So, God, would you come and join us here this morning? Would you honor our presence? Nobody came here to hear me speak, to hear a lecture or a spiritual talk. No, we have come to hear you speak through your word, even as it is interpreted and preached by your servant. So anoint us, anoint this message, anoint this messenger, and speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you look back over your life, think about some of the most important questions that you have ever had to face. Maybe they were questions that you asked of yourself. Who will I ask to be my date to the high school prom? It's an important question. 
Will I go to college? If so, which one? Will I be a Hawkeye, a Cyclone, a Panther, or some other animal? What do I want to be when I grow up? I'm still trying to figure that one out. Who should I vote for in the coming election? Maybe the questions that you have faced are ones that you have asked of other people. Would you be my date for the homecoming dance? Dad, can I borrow the car this weekend, please? Honey, will you marry me? Or, this one, very important, are you a Packers fan or a Vikings fan? Neither one. Yes, see? Life is filled with questions, right? Some of them are kind of little questions, don't have maybe a lot of significance. You know, what should I wear today? What will I have for dinner to eat this noon? What will I watch on TV this evening, maybe? Others are big questions, right, with, with big consequences. There are significant questions. Whom will I marry? What work will I do in my life? And where will I live? And when will I retire? Studies indicate that the average American makes about 35,000 decisions per day. Can you believe it? Wow, I was startled when I read that. That's about 2,000 decisions per hour of our waking hours or about one decision every two seconds. That's a lot of decisions. Now, most of those, of course, we make automatically now without even really thinking about most of those. Today... Jesus is posing a very important question of you. One which requires careful thought, attention, and consideration. It is a question with tremendous implications for your life. It is a question with eternal consequences for your future it is a question which Jesus posed of his disciples in the Bible and which Jesus, I believe, is posing for the disciples here at Grace Church this morning. It is a pivotal question, for there is a lot riding on this question, on your answer to this question. It's found in verse 29, and it is simply this. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? It's an incredibly important question for at least four reasons. First, it comes halfway through Mark's gospel. Anybody remember taking midterm exams in school? There were the finals, of course, but there were the midterms. About halfway through the course, the teacher or professor gave you an exam to make sure that you were keeping up. Didn't want you to get to the end of the course and discover when it's too late that you really didn't understand anything that was going on in that class. I had midterms in English and history and religion and psychology and many other courses, and probably you did too. Let me ask you this. How many chapters in the book of Mark? Yes. 16. What chapter are we in? 
We're halfway through. Guess what? You know what that means? Time for a midterm. (laughs) Time for a midterm. Didn't think you were going to have a test today, did you? Well, guess what? Jesus is giving his disciples a midterm exam today. Have you been paying attention to me, he's asking. Have you been watching me closely? Have you been listening to my teachings? Are you taking notes? Are you studying from the master teacher? Are you catching on? Are you keeping up? There's more to come, but let's pause now for a midterm exam, a progress check along the way. And the geography fits the function of Jesus' question. This is something that's often missed in our text. Caesarea Philippi is located between Galilee and Jerusalem, somewhere in between. It's in the foothills of Mount Hermon, now in the Golan Heights, a few kilometers from the Lebanese border. Disciples can look back toward Galilee and remember all that Jesus had done there and all that he had taught them there. They can also, from Caesarea Philippi, look forward and see Jerusalem on the horizon and only imagine what will happen to Jesus and them there. Removed from Galilee and Jerusalem, yet with both in view, it is a perfect place for objective reflection. How many of you know sometimes you just got to pull away from things in order to clear your mind, right? That's what they did. So Jesus gets his disciples alone and out of the cities and says, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The question is strategically and cleverly placed as it comes halfway in Mark and connects the two halves of Jesus' ministry. So let's begin by just stating the obvious. It is pivotal because it connects the first half and second half of Mark. It comes right in the middle. It's your midterm today. Secondly, It is a most important and pivotal question because it connects Jesus' public ministry to personal discipleship. Just say it with me. It connects Jesus' public ministry to personal discipleship. The disciples have been with Jesus for some time now, and so have we. Thus far, we have seen Jesus do many exciting, spectacular things publicly for all to see. He's cast out demons. He's healed the sick. He's cured a man with leprosy, made a paralytic walk. He's declared forgiveness of sins. He's broken some Sabbath rules along the way. He's calmed a storm, healed a demon-possessed man, raised a dead girl, cured a hemorrhaging woman. He's fed the masses with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. He's walked on water and done many, many other things, including healing a blind man from Bethsaida with not one touch, but, but two, as we learned last week. Over and over again, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority over demons and disease and death. Wow, this is great stuff. Today's evangelists and pastors would only dream of having this kind of ministry impact. You know, Jesus had a wonderfully successful public ministry. Surely the Trinity Christian Network has been calling to offer Jesus a show on the Galilean television network. Jesus is doing incredible miracles. People can't get enough. He has quite a following. This is reality TV at its best. He's highly popular. The ratings are through the roof. There's something unique about him. People are tuning in to watch. He's even confronting these pompous Pharisees. How's this going to turn out? Most everybody loves Jesus. He is very popular. He has more likes and followers 
on Facebook and Instagram than the Kardashians. Okay, maybe not. This is the first half of Mark's gospel, his public ministry. But things are now about to change. There's a pivot taking place in Mark and in Jesus' ministry. A shift is happening from public ministry to personal discipleship, from popular acclaim to private acceptance and obedience. Peter's profession of Jesus as Christ was not denied by Jesus, notice. And now we are about to find out what it actually means to follow Jesus as the Christ. The remainder of Mark's gospel and Jesus' ministry will be focused on discipleship, following Jesus to the cross. Sure, there'll be a few miracles sprinkled in along the way, but things are pivoting now to a more personal focus on you and discipleship. You see, anybody can be a fan of Jesus. Jesus had a lot of fans, a lot of fans in the stands yesterday at football games all across our nation. Maybe some of you went to some locally here. A lot of fans. Anybody can be a fan. But Jesus isn't so interested in fans. He's interested in followers. Jesus' question of his disciples pivots the conversation now to following him as Christ. We all love the blessings, the benefits, the miracles of Jesus. This is great stuff, Jesus. You know, do another miracle. We want to see that. We all love the fun and the good things and the happy things of following Jesus. Maybe you're a fan, but are you willing to truly follow Jesus, the Christ? We are about to find out as we pivot from public ministry to personal discipleship. Thirdly, this is a most important and pivotal question because it confronts you to make a decision about Jesus. Verse 27, Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Uh, Jesus asks this question objectively, uh, kind of generically. Uh, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But Jesus is not concerned here with public opinion. He's not worried about what the polls are saying. This question is a teaser, a primer, an icebreaker, if you will. The master teacher is using it to open the topic, getting them to think now about his identity. So Jesus then pivots the question to make it personal. What about you? Who do you say that I am? He confronts his disciples. You've been with me for some time now. You've seen me in action. You've seen me do lots of things. You've heard my teaching and preaching. And after all of this, what is your verdict? What do you think about me? Who am I? Do you understand my true identity yet? What is your answer? Friends, Jesus is asking the same of you today. Who do you say Jesus is? 
Now, it'd be easy at this point and tempting for us to kind of jump ahead here in the gospel and uh, enter, you know, add in everything we know about Jesus, right, in our entire life and all of our Christology. We could add all of that in and say, well, we know already what happens. You know, Jesus, he He's put to death, he's crucified, but then he rises from the dead. He says, Jesus is Savior, he's Lord. It'd be easy for us to just jump, you know, say that. We can jump to that. But that would not be true to this text, would it? Put yourself back into the disciples' sandals. You've not yet seen Jesus die or rise from the dead. And given what you know at this point, who do you say Jesus is? You know, there were a lot of varying opinions about Jesus in his day at this point in his ministry. Pharisees thought he was a heretic. This man is not of God. He is so against God. We have to stand up and protect God and his rules. Some saw him as kind of a lunatic, a kind of madman running, running across the countryside. Others were curious about him. They were fans, but they weren't necessarily followers. Peter says, you are the Christ, and Jesus does not deny it. He gives tacit approval and affirmation to Peter's answer. Good answer, good answer, Peter, good answer. Is it on the board? What conclusions have you drawn up to this point about Jesus? If he turned to you today and asked, because he is, who do you say I am? What would you, how would you reply? There's no postponing. There's no delay. There's no procrastinating. It is a question that you and you alone must answer. And if you fail to answer with your lips and verbally, your lifestyle will answer for you. No, now is the time for decision, says Jesus. I am awaiting your answer. What is it? May we be clear. May we declare ourselves. Jesus is the Christ. No, who do you say he is? It's a very pivotal question because it now becomes a personal confrontation between you and Jesus. It is also a most important and pivotal question because, number four, finally, it calls you to consider your eternal destiny. Jesus' question is the most important, most significant, most pivotal question that you or any person could ever answer. It's not just a question you see on the midterm exam. It's not just a question that we could answer intellectually or a doctrinal question. It's not merely a question that is a sort of a cognitive exercise of repeating or regurgitating a correct answer. No, it is a question that you must answer with your life and your heart. It is a question that will affect your life and future. It is a question that will determine your eternal destiny, in fact. Heaven or hell. I know that that's not popular. It's not even politically correct. But did you know that Jesus spoke a lot about hell? It's there in the Bible. 
I sure hope we, you, get the answer right. It's why what we do here at Grace Church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings with children and youth and Thursdays in small groups and every other day of the week, it's why what we do here is so vitally important. It's not always easy. Going on a youth retreat with six wonderful kids and another leader and getting a sleepless night. It wasn't Shannon who snored, by the way, but there was, they were cutting down a forest on the other side of the room there, I tell you what. It was I had no sleep Friday whatsoever. It's not always easy, but it is the most important thing we can be doing. Eternal lives are literally hanging in the balance. Eternal destinies are at stake, are they not? Do you believe it or not? Do we believe the words of Jesus or not? We know it well. One of our youth recited it eloquently. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not die but have everlasting life. Why is that verse even there talking about life and death if it wasn't a life or death matter? Anybody here ever watch Ellen's Game of Games, uh, the show on NBC? You ever see that? I, sometimes I flip channels. I'm not hooked on it or anything, but I, uh, once in a while I see it and I'll tune it. There's always these goofy games. She's got contestants and they're wearing goofy stuff and costumes are bumping into each other. And, you know, it's kind of a fun, lighthearted show. And, and then at one point in the show, the contestants are kind of up on a little kind of almost like a balcony kind of thing. And, and they're standing there and they have to answer. They have to give the right answer. Remember that part? Do you see that? And, but they're all standing on kind of like a trap door. And uh, if they get an answer wrong, if they get, you know, so many wrong or whatever it is, Ellen has the authority to push the button and, boom, the door, the door opens up and they go down. Remember, you ever see that? <laughs> they go down. I don't know where they go, but they always, you know, they must be soft. They appear after the show, so it's pretty, you know, must be safe. But then they show it in slow motion, right? You know, the screams, you know, and they're going down through the tube and stuff like that. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of fun. In regard to Jesus' question, you get a wrong answer. And you could spend an eternity separated from all that you love. The floor kind of drops out of your life. And there's nothing. Truth is, your eternal destiny pivots on this question. Who is Jesus, really? Was he who he said he was? Do we believe him? Do we believe his words? Do we trust him? Will we not just be a fan but a follower? Uh, Peter says you're the Christ. Some versions translated, you are the Messiah. Really? Could it be Jesus, the one spoken of by the prophets and predicted to arrive on planet earth as God himself from long ago, that Jesus is the one anointed by God, that Jesus is the one with the Spirit, that Jesus is the Christ, the christened one, literally? Could it be that Jesus is the Messiah, the one to usher in a new reign, in a new rule, God's kingdom, that which we all long for? 
What if Jesus is who He says He is? What if He is really the Christ, the Messiah? The hopes and dreams of all of the years are met in Him. He is the fulfillment of 365 messianic prophecies throughout Scripture. And by the way, He fulfills everyone. What if it's true? If so, it changes everything. Then this question is the most important question you will ever face and have to answer. There's a lot hinging on your answer. It's very pivotal. It can go either way. The wrong answer here and the floor drops out. I hope we get our answer right. Well, here's the good news. It's only the midterms. There's much more to come. We're halfway in the book of Mark. There's more to see, more to hear, more to witness, more to experience with Jesus. Things are about to get even more interesting. Things are going to get even more challenging, perhaps. The plot of our drama will thicken in the very next section in this same chapter next week. Not everyone, however, is ready to receive the news that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Christ. So Jesus says, don't tell anybody just yet. It's not quite time. Not everyone can handle this truth right now. But you, you believe. Yes, good answer, Peter. You got it right. Jesus is the Christ. And from here on, Peter, you're going to learn exactly what it means to follow the Christ for all who claim to be Christ followers, that is Christian in name, probably most of us, if not all of us, in this room here this morning, we're going to learn exactly what that means. And it will challenge you like never before. How will you answer? How do you answer? If not with your words, how do you answer with your life? Will others know that you profess Jesus to be the Christ, that you are a Christian? It is the most important, pivotal question anyone could ever face. Jesus, come and help us. Oh, how we need grace, how we need forgiveness, how we need cleansing, Lord. How we need you to come and show us the way to be our Messiah to be our Christ to be our Savior Lord at this point in the journey we're still learning and we've got a ways to go thankfully it's just the midterms so Lord would you come and would you impart to us your truth and your passion Help us not merely to be fans, but to truly be followers of Jesus the Christ. Come, do a work in our hearts and lives. Do a work at Grace Church. We pray it in your holy name. Amen.
Jesus. Sing it with us. Jesus, holy and anointed one, Jesus, 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 risen and exalted one, Your name is like honey on my lips Your spirit like water to my soul Your word is a lamp unto my feet Jesus, I love you, I love you 